to invite you to take your copy of God's Word and turn to Luke chapter 6, and we'll continue our walk through the Gospel according to Luke. Luke chapter 6, and we left off in verse 16, so I reckon we'll start in verse 17. What do you think? If you would, I'd ask you, because these are the words that are breathed out by God Himself, Stand out of reverence and respect. Luke chapter 6, starting in verse 17. After coming down with them, he stood on a level place with a large crowd of his disciples and a great number of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and from the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon. They came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Then looking up at his disciples, he said, Blessed, blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you, insult you, and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. Take note, your reward is great in heaven, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the prophets. But woe to you who are rich. For you have received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. Woe to you who are now laughing, for you will mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. Let us pray. Father, we ask you to speak to your people. To make us what we are not. And we trust you with a message that is counterculture, with what seems like an opposing view of life. We ask you, conform us, make us surrender to your word. It's in your son's name. Amen. Listen close. Listen close. It was the summer of my sophomore year in high school. Now, mind you, that that was a little while ago. It was my summer, it was the summer of my sophomore year, and I rode to Long John Silver's with a couple friends to grab a bite to eat. Now, at the mention of Long John Silver's, some of your mouths start watering. You don't know how bad you miss something until it's gone, right? My friend Chris had borrowed his brother's kind of new truck, and it was was really nice. I don't know how he got it. We really didn't ask him. Probably he stole the keys, but he got his brother's truck, and here we were. We were off. After driving extra slow so all the people could see us in the truck, me, Chris Daniels, and Pete Carroll 
shoved in like sardines in an S10 truck. Thought we were really cool. Driving slow so all the chicks could see us. Driving slow so everybody would know that we were out and about. We arrive at Long John Silver's. We go through the drive-thru and decide to eat our deep-fried goodness in the parking lot. Just young men, no cares or worries, enjoying the company of friends and the freedom of a warm summer day. After chicken and fish, hush puppies and tea, laughs and jokes, Chris puts the truck in reverse, gives a quick glance in the side mirror, and backs up to leave. It was then that he hit the only pole in the entire parking lot of Long John Silver's. Not only did he hit it, he came very close to totaling that little truck. Sweet tea was all over the windshield. Half-eaten chicken planks were in our laps. How could he eat the, how could he hit the only pole in the parking lot? Every time I drive by that place now, I look up there, there's one pole there. How could he hit that one pole? Beloved, when he looked over into the mirror, you must remember this. Things aren't always as they appear. Jesus has went up to pray. This is a reoccurring theme. Jesus goes up to be with God, his Father. He comes down and teaches the people. Jesus goes up to pray. He descends back down now. And this is the Sermon on the Plain. This is a condensed version, I think, of the Sermon on the Mount. A lot of people think that this is two different sermons, that the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 through 7 is one sermon. The Sermon on the Plain in Luke 6 is another sermon. We don't know that, but in heaven we'll know. If, it's, if that's the case, then Jesus preached sermons multiple times. But he came and he preached the kingdom of God. He, he came and he had a message for the poor and for the outcasts, for those on the outside of the fringes of society. He came for those people. And it's here in the Sermon on the Plain we see we see the Beatitudes. Now, you and I know from our studies that Jesus has already demonstrated that he is the authority over the devil. Now, you can say amen. He's the authority over the devil. He has control over that. He goes into the wilderness and he defeats the devil. He is fixing to defeat sin, death, and the grave as well. He has authority over all diseases. He has authority over all these things. He has authority over sin. And wherever Jesus goes, listen close, wherever Jesus goes, people are made well. Physically and spiritually, people are made well. This is the sign of the kingdom. You remember what John said? Repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And here comes the king bringing his kingdom. And everywhere he goes, lives are changed. And it's there we see in verse 17, he 
comes down with them. He stood on a level place with a large crowd of disciples. And all these people are flocking to him. They came to hear him. Why did they come to hear Jesus? Because he had a different message, basically. His message came with authority because he was the word. So he comes preaching. His preaching is different. His sermons are different. He comes, there's something different about him. But not only that, look what it says, verse 18, they came to hear him, they came to hear his sermons. They didn't just come to be healed, but they wanted to hear him because he had the words of life, Peter will say, and to be healed of their diseases and those tormented by unclean spirits were made well. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus has the authority because he is the king of the kingdom. Listen to what it says, verse 19. The whole crowd was trying to touch him because power was coming out from him and healing them all. Jesus is there and, and every person who had an issue was being made well by being close to Jesus. Do you know what that teaches me? You don't have to have every theological and doctrinal I dotted and T crossed. You get those people to Jesus and he'll make them better. Just get them to Jesus. Let me remind you that you don't get them to Jesus just by bringing them to church. Ah, but bring Jesus to them. And he'll take care of the rest. And so we see, this, is, this gets us up into the first part of this sermon. And this sermon is, is actually three different parts. We're only going to go the first part today, maybe. Uh, but, but I want you to see a few things. If you're taking notes, let's start in verse 20. Point number one, blessed. Your life is not determined by your circumstances. Blessed. Your life is not determined by your circumstances. Hashtag. Blessed. I got out of a ticket. Hashtag. Blessed. I got new earrings. Hashtag. Blessed. I got this and I got that. I got a good tan. Hashtag, blessed. Even the kids think that's silly. I live a vile life doing what I want to do, but I am blessed because you can see me. I've got all my stuff. But the Bible here teaches us that blessed, your life is not determined by your circumstances. What does it mean to be blessed? If we look at the word and we break it down, here's what it means. This is the easiest way I can explain it to you. Fortunate. Fortunate. And Jesus says, fortunate are you. Jesus is there with all these sick people around him. He's chosen his 12 disciples, his 12 apostles, but he's surrounded by multiple disciples. You know, there might be a thousand people here around him that are his disciples. He looks up. From, from being down with the people who are sick and afflicted, he looks up and he says to them, blessed, look at verse 20, looking up at his disciples, he said, blessed are you who are poor. What? Jesus. Hashtag blessed? That can't be right. 
They're poor. And I can hear Jesus say, exactly. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Notice that Jesus doesn't say, blessed are you because you're poor. Now, listen close. He doesn't say, blessed are you because you're poor. No. But blessed are you who are poor. Who is he talking to? Who are the blessed ones? Look at verse 20. He's speaking to his... Did you come to church this morning? Because I come. Who's he speaking to? You're blessed because you are a disciple. You're blessed because God knows your name. You're blessed because he's called you and brought you out of darkness into this marvelous light. You're not blessed by stuff. You're not blessed by not having stuff. You're blessed because he knows your name. You're blessed because in the mind and heart of God before the world ever existed, he set his eyes upon you and he said, that one is mine. And my sins are gone. I'm blessed because his son came and died in my place and he took my sins and they're never to be remembered. Had a guy tell me yesterday, I can't believe that he would die for your sins. I can see dying for your sins up until the point you get saved, but isn't the rest of it kind of on you? I said, it's radical, isn't it? To think that he took all my sins. Oh, blessed are you because you are a follower of Jesus. And why are you a follower of Jesus? Let's, let's get to the root of it. Why are you a follower of Jesus? Because of God's kindness and mercy toward you. Blessed are you. Blessed are you. Your life is not determined by your circumstances. It might look rough where you're at. Things may be falling apart. You ha may have been at one time very close to the Lord, but you haven't read your Bible in so long, you could write lost in the dust on it. Listen, blessed are you. You may not have any money. You might be eating ramen noodles for the week. You may not understand what your next move in life is. Oh, beloved, your circumstances do not define you. God calling you to be one of his defines who you are. Blessed. Your life is not determined by your circumstances. But there's another thing I want you to see. So I want you to circle every time it says blessed. Blessed are you who are poor because the kingdom of God is yours. Blessed are you who are now hungry because you will be filled. Blessed are you who weep now because you will laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you. When they exclude you and insult you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Circle all those blessed. Your life's not determined by your circumstances. Number two, 
Underline these words in your Bible. Poor, hungry, weeping, hated. Poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Your course is not determined by your circumstances. We could summarize these, these characteristics, these, these, these things as helpless, hungry, hurt, and hated. All of the circumstances in life may look like they're wrong, but listen to me. The implication of the gospel, the outworking of the gospel, that, that the good news that my sins are gone now puts me in a position where the one who did away with my sin, the one who died for me, is now my master. Poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Your course is not determined by your circumstances. The way you walk in your life is not determined by what's going on around you. Blessed are you who are poor, because yours is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you who are hungry, because you're filled. Blessed are you who, are, who weep now, you'll laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you, when they exclude you and insult you and slander your name as evil because of the Son of Man. Listen close. All of these circumstances, they do not put me on a course of life. No. The Lord is the master of my life. And I am under him. So I don't walk according to another set of rules. My life is not about not being poor. Listen to me. Especially uh, teenage kids. Or young adults. Your life is not about your job. Your life is not about a career path. If you're a Christian, your life is not about advancement. It's not about um, uh, even your emotions. Your life is about you have a master, and his name is Jesus, and you walk according to the way he said to walk. He dictates what I do. He dictates where I go. He dictates what I am to be to the people around me. Why do people give up their lives to go to the mission field? Why do people give up everything to go? Because their life is not their own. They have been bought with a price. Do you see here? If you're poor, you're hungry, you're weeping, you're hated, your course is not determined by your circumstances. For the Christian... My course in life is not based on a social status. I should not be living my life to be more popular. I shouldn't be living my life just to make more money. I shouldn't be living my life just to be happy. I should live my life as a servant in the kingdom of God. While I was on vacation, uh, I was reading the USA Today. And uh, the front page article in one of the USA Today said, talked about this man who had a disease, and he was a professional poker player. That's interesting, right? He had this disease where one of his legs was cut off, had to have it amputated, and, and uh, he was in the advanced stages of this disease, and he was going to die. He lives on the East Coast. On the East Coast, you're not allowed to have assisted suicide. They didn't call it assisted suicide. They called it some um, Mickey Mouse name to make it sound good. 
So he packs up all his belongings and goes out to California so he could, and I quote, be uh, in control over his last days. Now listen close to me. At first glance, you think the guy's just trying to die, as he says, with dignity. Listen. But that's letting his circumstances determine how he lives his life. For the Christian, I can let go. The circumstances are not determining how I'm going to live. I can let go and say God is sovereignly in control of this. And if I leave here tomorrow, he is good. And he is charting my course, Gene. He is the master of my life. Third, one, blessed. Your life is not determined by your circumstances. Two, poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Your course is not determined by your circumstances. Your life is not determined. Your course is not determined. Let me say one more thing. Do you notice there it says weeping? Those who weep? The course of your life is not determined by your emotions either. Your emotions will fool you. Right? Well, let's go to the next one. Last one. So you've circled blessed. You've underlined poor, hungry, weeping, and hated. Now I want you to do something else. Put a box around in verse 23, reward. And listen close. Reward. Your hope is not depending on your circumstances. Look what it says, verse 23. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. What? This is a command. Rejoice in that day. Rejoice in that day, Chris, when they hate you. Rejoice in that day when they exclude you, when they don't invite you to the stuff. Rejoice in that day when they slander your name as evil, when they insult you, when they hate you. Rejoice in that day when you're weeping. Rejoice in that day when you're hungry. Rejoice in that day when you're poor. Why? Because your hope is not depending on your circumstances. Take note. Your reward is great in heaven. For this is the way their ancestors used to, used to treat the prophets. Beloved, my hope is not in wealth or fame. My hope is not my own. But my hope is in Jesus. Your hope is not depending on your circumstances. You may be diagnosed with cancer. You may be sick and afflicted. You may have emotional issues. You may have been betrayed. You may have been lied to. You may have been mistreated. Your hope is not in this life. Your hope is at the right hand of God on high. Look what he says. But woe to you who are rich, for you've received your comfort. What? 
the rich people? Woe to them. Think. Beloved, if your hope is in your riches, you've received your comfort. Woe to you who are now full, for you will be hungry. If your hope, if, if, if the course of your life is, if, if, if your life is determined by how much you have, enjoy because it's all you've got. Woe to you who are now laughing. If, if your hope is only in a good time now, enjoy because you're living your best life now. The next one won't be so much. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for this is the way their ancestors used to treat the false prophets. If your hope is in what everyone thinks of you, this is the battle of social media. Everyone wants to be liked. And so we clean ourselves up, we take a duck lip selfie, we put it on, and we want everybody to think that my life is perfect. When it's all crumbling down, your hope is not in, in your 375 followers, friends, or whatever they call them, rascals, thinking that you've got it together. No, my hope is in Jesus. My hope is in I am one of his. My hope is in his electing love. My hope is in Christ's righteousness. Fast forward 20 years exactly, almost to the month from the Long John Silver's truck versus pole accident. There we are. Two friends. A little older, a little more cautious, a lot less hair. We are not in his brother's truck. We are not at Long John Silver's. But we're back at his childhood home. This time, Chris isn't talking, Chris isn't laughing. Chris isn't throwing his sweet tea at the side of the truck. We aren't trying to be cool. We aren't trying to be seen. It's quiet and it's dim. The sound of an oxygen machine and whispers of a family are all that's heard in that place. Chris is now bedfast. Cancer of the brain. For the second time, this cancer, this disease had confined him to his room and it took all his faculties away. It's stolen his life. My friend, Chris, at 36 years old, was sent home from the best hospital in the world to die. And that he did. July 4th, 2015. At 7 a.m., he breathed his last breath, and life was over. Someone said, what a shame. As we stood around his casket, someone said, gone too soon. As we stood beside his grave, someone said, how pitiful. What was so full of life and happiness now lays lifeless in the back room of, a, of his home in a hospital bed. But just like that pole in the mirror on that summer day, things aren't always as they appear. 
Alistair Begg said, What a wonderful reminder to us that God has made of death for the Christian a narrow sunlit strip between the goodbyes of yesterdays and the hellos of tomorrow. That the death for the Christian, what we fear most, we never experience. We're going to fall asleep in the arms of Jesus, and when we wake up, we will be home, and the sun will be shining through the windows, and we will hear our Father's voice saying, Well done. The promise of Christ to those who follow Him is not a life of temporary pleasures, but the promise of an eternal spot in His Father's kingdom, the promise of an eternal place at the Father's table. We are not defined, our walk is not determined, and our hope is not depending on our circumstances. No, friend, it's determined, it's depending on Christ Himself. We are in Christ, in God's kingdom. Take heart. Be encouraged. Don't give up. You are the blessed ones. You are the blessed ones. Let us pray. So quick to focus on other things. That's what we are. God, forgive us. Thank you for drawing out of us, drawing out, drawing us out of darkness into your marvelous light. Our hope is in you. We thank you. We love you. We praise you. In your son's name, amen.